Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey everyone, welcome back to OMD Daily. This is a June 26, 26 2020 episode. And as customary with all interview-based podcast episodes, I wanted to kind of start off by doing a quick intro of my conversation with my guest, Katie Waika. Katie is the performance coach at Clio. Clio is a legal software company with about 500 employees based out of its headquarters in Vancouver and other global offices in the U.S., Ireland, and remote workers. And this is remote workers from a pre-COVID era. In our conversation, I learn about Clio's culture and values, the role of a performance coach in a fast-growing organization, and Katie's approach and tactics to coaching. With more than a decade's experience in coaching and leadership development, Katie became the first in-house performance coach at Clio, and we talk about various elements of the role like building trust, length of engagement, what is contracting, um, expectations versus reality with all her various clients slash uh, colleagues that she works with, measuring ROI in coaching, which is, I think, a really tough um, endeavor, but a really exciting topic to talk about. And just so much more of what Katie does and the role of a in-house performance coach in talent acceleration. This was a super fun conversation for me. Um, I've known Katie previously before and have had amazing conversations with her before. And so I'm just super happy to get this podcast produced and out. And I hope this is valuable for you as much as it was for me. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Katie. Hey everyone, welcome to OMD Daily. Today is a special episode where I have a wonderful guest with me. Today's guest is Katie Waika, who is a performance coach at Clio. Katie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am super pumped. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to begin off with, um, would you mind kind of explaining to my listeners and also myself, like how you would describe Clio as a company? What do you guys do? And the second part is kind of describing your position as a performance coach as well, because there's so many ways of defining that. And I like to know how you define it. Right. Yeah. So Clio is a Canadian company, private, and Clio is the name of the software um, as well as the company. Clio is a legal practice management software as a service, so legal SaaS. And it's been operating for over 10 years. It started with two people in Edmonton, Alberta, and has now grown and extended itself into the US and as well as Canada and Dublin, Ireland. So we are an organization that is out to transform the practice of law for good. The users of our software are lawyers, legal firms, legal technicians, anyone who needs to run their law firm would benefit from our software product. So that's a snippet of, of what the company is. 
we're about 500 people. And like I said, we're, we're now spread across LA, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and Dublin, and several remote folks that are in other places. <laughs> but of course, we're all remote right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and as you would imagine, the, the bulk of our organization is product people, so product managers, software developers, engineers, um, sales professionals, customer support, and customer success enablement, as well as, of course, executive team, a, a full talent team, a finance team, so a 500-person and growing organization at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about your uh, title, like your position? Like what does it, how do you define um, performance coach as? And can you kind of give a description of like your team? Like, are you the only performance coach at Clio? Um, right. Or do, do you have a team? And yeah, what does the title mean? How do you define it? Because there's so many ways, I think, where people define a performance coach. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So at Clio, performance coach, I joined three years ago as their first in-house coach. They had been working with with coaches externally prior to that and made the call to bring a person in-house to to work as their performance coach and ultimately you know a coach uh, can be as you mentioned defined in a number of different ways i think my job really ultimately is in support of all the individuals at the organization to help them perform at their best And so within that, there's a huge range of ways that I can work with people to help them perform at their best. And of course, I'm not the only person who does that. The leaders in the organization, people's team members, they can all contribute. The talent organization has a role to play in that. But I have a special role because that is my 100% focus is to work with anyone and everyone who wants coaching um, and to help people get better at coaching, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the performance piece is sort of a weighty, heady notion, isn't it? Um, performance as defined by the person, performance as defined by the context of the role they're in, who they are. Um, so I don't try to limit it too much in terms of what people can use coaching for, why people come to coaching. It's really around as a whole person, how do we help you perform at your best? That, that's how I define it. Gotcha. And yeah. before we kind of go deeper into, you know, what you do as a coach, I, I think it'd be also awesome to kind of also kind of lay the groundwork for um, Clio as a company to kind of get a sense of the company itself, the culture, um, how like yeah. people think about it. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned how, yeah, so Clio is a software company and it has a very, I guess, much of the talent is predominantly very focused on the product itself, but how would you kind of describe the culture of the company? Like, so for example, there's some software companies that are very, they're openly very engineering focused. And so they'll, I don't know what that means, but that's what they say. And mm-hmm. they end up catering a lot to the developers. Um, some companies have uh, a very like sales focused culture. Um, that's very kind of specific to a role type, but I'd be curious, like how, how does Clio define their culture? How do you guys think about it? Is there a kind of a mm. philosophy that um, overlays everything? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, the, ooh, there's so much we could talk about there. <laughs> the floor um, is yours. Go, go nuts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so 
it's very much a growth company. It was a startup for a long time, obviously. Um, I think we've now recognized that we're no longer a startup. We are really a, a high growth organization. And of course, COVID has maybe slowed us down in terms of hiring a little bit, but the trajectory is, is quite optimistic. And you know the, the, the um, people who invest in Clio and the people who are leading Clio are very confident that we will continue growing and really trying to, to be the, the player in, in legal tech SaaS. Um, the culture of the organization, of course it changes over time, um, but I think there's two pillars that the leadership of the organization, you know, hand in hand with the talent organization are really trying to embed and manifest and that's a human and high performing culture. And of course, th that can mean different things to different people. How we talk about it in-house is that we care very much about results. We care very much about performance, setting lofty, bold goals, challenging people, pushing people, you know, creating ways in which people can perform at their best. But we also believe in being human you know, treating people as their whole self, the whole person comes to work is a, is a good way to think about that. Mm. That what we do inside the organization should always have a component of the human connection. And of course, the benefits, the things that we do for people and, and how we support them outside of the organization. We have to recognize that, that we are all human and we need certain things. And we're trying to create a workplace that is, is an and, human and high performing, trying not ever to skew to one or the other, right? And, and so I think that for a, from a cultural standpoint shows up in how we make decisions about people, how, what kinds of um, things we offer people, um, how we try to structure teams, how we develop people, um, yeah, it sort of it, it underlies a lot of the the ways in which the company's organizing itself as it grows. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'd actually love to hear kind of examples of the various kind of things you just talked about, like how you organize teams, um, yeah. how you um, even like hire people. Because like, um, you know, Clio is a legal software company, and yeah. I'm, I'm just curious: is do you only try to find people who are passionate about legal software, or you know, ex lawyers? <laughs> um, at, you know, how do you bring people in and kind of get quote unquote, like the right people in the door yeah. to even begin with? Like, is there yeah. a unique kind of process for that? Um, there, yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very pointed and specific hiring process, right? So a couple of things I would say, I don't, I don't think that for a lot of the roles that it's a requirement that you have to feel a lot of passion about legal software. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, we have lots of people who do care deeply. We have lawyers turned developers. We have lawyers turned sales professionals joining Clio because they see the product market gap and they care deeply about lawyers and law and access to justice. We have lot, loads of people that, that care a lot about that, but it's not a requirement to join the organization per se. 
um, as you could imagine for people in the engineering part of the organization, what they care about is, yeah, interesting tech stacks and, and interesting technical challenges to solve together, um, access to senior developers so they can grow. So, you know, when in the early days, I think what attracted people to, to Clio was this lofty mission, right, of trying to transform the practice of law for good. Um, and that it was growing and it was scrappy, classic startup in the tech space, right? Didn't, hoping to make payroll, <laughs> right? a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, huge entrepreneurial spirit with the, with the co-founders. But over time, as we've grown up as an organization, um, it's, it's a little bit more about you're joining an organization that you know, has great career opportunities, that cares deeply about people, is human and high performing sort of cultural pillars, um, that we're doing something big Right? We're not playing it small. I think that's another thing that in the Canadian tech landscape, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but there's a lot of small, smaller organizations, right? For many reasons, um, but Cleo's bold and really wants to make a splash and, and go out and be, be the change that it, it wants to see in terms of legal, legal tech, access to justice, and just better, better, lawyering around the world mm -hmm. right through through having better um software better tools better thinking about their their firms so i think hiring has been a real focus bringing in people who have that entrepreneurial spirit that want to grow that are of course a fit for the job and and bright and and interested in working in a team that's that's pushing the boundaries of of the tech and the, and the market space that they're in. Um, the, yeah, yeah, what else, what else would be helpful to know? Yeah, like I think um, I'd be curious to know about any kind of specific processes that might be unique mm. to Clio. So, cause I think I'd, it's kind of like the, uh, so the analogy I give in like investing is that you'll never find a hedge fund that tells you they're not long-term oriented because everyone likes right. to say that, but it's the same, I think, for like hiring people. They can say, we like bright, smart people who want to make yeah. the world a better place. But what company yeah. will say they don't want those kinds of people? But I think True. the big question is, um, what are you actually doing? Like, what are the unique processes that are actually there that you actually implement, implement to make that happen? Um, so I'd be curious, like from your perspective, like mm -hmm. if you're actually involved in the process or if even if you're not, like what unique um, infrastructure is there in, in place to really think about hiring like the right people to make that happen yeah yeah no and i'm not in talent acquisition obviously mm. um i'm part of talent acceleration there's mm. a small group of us that are focused on the development part of people accelerating people's development at, and so that's separate from talent business partners that partner with leaders in the organization to more of a, a generalist if you will um, and then talent acquisition is the team that leads the hiring, of course, the search and, and recruitment and hiring. Um, so yeah, of course I work with people who we bring in. So I have thoughts about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's a, it's a pretty rigorous uh, interview and selection process. Maybe early days, it might've been, hey, you sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> let's, let's get in here. But it's it, there. There's a 
now, and certainly since I've been uh, at the organization, there's a fairly intensive hiring um, process, right? Which is, or interview and selection process, which is, you know, a number of gates. So there's, you know, the classic sort of the recruiter or the talent acquisition specialist really vets and sees if there's possibility for a fit. Um, we bring in the folks that the hiring manager is interested in meeting. It's usually multiple visits, meeting with multiple people, and there's always a project. So if you were a designer coming in the door, your project might be around designing something or, or talking about a design that you've, that you've created. We try to put people in the, an aspect of the job and get them to do something and then, and then meet and talk or present or, or uh, work through a problem with, with, with the dev manager, if it was the engineer, for example. So there's always a project to see the person in action. There's also lots of opportunity for meet and greet with other members of the team so that there's an exchange and a sense of what would it be like to work with this person, um, to give them ample opportunity to see what the company's like, who they might be working with, what the connection is there. So there's like, I, I, I see that that's a pretty consistent part of the hiring process, which mm -hmm. I think is really helpful for both sides, right? Gotcha. And in, yep. so you talked about how there's kind of these different teams. So there's talent acquisition, which is very kind of clear. And then there's business partners and then there's talent acceleration. Like, do yeah. why, why is it different uh, business partner and talent acceleration? Aren't, why is there kind of a divide there? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of overlap. They are. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, like, so the, the people we have in those roles, they're pretty, they're generalists, right? So they can operate really as an employment advisor for, for, for more of the um, nuts and bolts things about hiring, managing people, letting people go. Of course, they have to be experts on that. They can operate as a bit of a coach or a partner to the, mm -hmm. to the leaders around developing their team members. They can lead offsites. They can facilitate conversations, hard conversations. They've got a, a huge range. Where talent acceleration is a bit different is we're primarily responsible for sort of the, the, the programs, right? And the services that the part, business partners can then use with their various um, partnerships and, and departments. So an example would be, um, we have an in-house leadership program. And uh, one of our, my colleagues runs that and she is responsible for the design and delivery with that. She pulls people in as she needs to. So the business partners, you know, they send or they nominate people in their groups to go and attend that. And then they help, you know, work with the, the leaders in their, you know, in the various parts of the organization to help ensure that the learning through the leadership development program actually takes hold. They do follow-ups and they, you know, offer to help, you know, you know, help the leader get better at coaching their folks around the principles that were learned in the program. Right. So in the talent acceleration organization right now, there's a huge focus on upskilling managers. We have a lot of young, new leaders in the organization. It's a younger demographic, Leo. Um, and so all the support needed, you know, the, the generalists can't create big programs for everybody. So talent acceleration is responsible for creating one-to-many programs that the business partners can plug into as they need to for their 
departments. Yeah. Got it. And in, um, in actually going deeper into now, like what you do as a performance coach and the yeah. kind of work you do. And it's from what I know that you, you kind of have a schedule where you only kind of take on 50 um, clients or I guess more employees at, at one kind of period, but you have a company of like 500. So yeah. I guess like that, yeah. everybody's got to kind of have a wait list and they got to wait their turn. But can you kind of start by giving an overview of what um, coaching looks like when people work with you? Like I know there's various elements like you have like one-on-one coaching, there's spot coaching, there's ride-alongs, there's group coaching for like teams. So mm-hmm. there's so many ways to tackle it, but I'd be curious to, for, um, for you to kind of take the lead on that and kind of provide the overview of like what it what does it look like usually yeah. um, when yeah. someone wants to work with you yep absolutely so um, high level our our guiding principles for the coaching service at Clio right now I don't call it a program I call it a service um, because as you know in coaching I don't own the agenda they do <laughs> So some of the, the principles behind it are, yeah, everyone and anyone can access coaching. It's not just for select few. And so I work with, as you can imagine, a huge range of people across the organization. The other principle that I subscribe to is that it's, it's work, right? So when I meet with people for the first time, if they reach out and that's all they have to do, we're not that big that they can't just reach out to me. <laughs> um, to see if coaching is for them. I talk about if you are ready to focus intentionally on on a part of yourself or an aspect of your development with a thinking partner like me, right, for a period of time, there's work. It's it's not, uh, some people have maybe a misconception about coaching that if I just do it, I can tick the box and, and it's all good and, 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 uh, you know, it sounds good and I can tell people that's what I'm doing. No, it's work, right? <laughs> so there's homework, there's meeting with me on a frequent basis and, and we co-create that together. So it's not like, again, I, I offer one way of working with me, right? We, we sit down for that initial discovery conversation together and I get a better sense of what they're working on or what they're trying to get better at, what they want to use coaching for and we co-create our engagement. We talk about, yeah, it could be that this might be a one-off at this point. That's the contracting piece, right? Of classic coaching process, right? They might say, yeah, I don't think I need a long-term engagement. I'm really just interested in, in you helping me with something today. And, and great, right? That's, that's fine. Uh, many others, of course, are looking for a longer-term engagement. And so that could be over a period of time it could be a number of sessions. It could be, I'm going to work with you until I get this thing or until I become better at X, right? They have, they're more goal oriented. So some folks I've been working with for two years, three years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't put limits on it. There's no artificial cap. I really try to put that in the hands of the person, the coachee, my client, our Clio person right? Because it's a partnership, right? The minute that I try and overly dictate or prescribe what this needs to look like, it's something different, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we co-create an engagement. Um, another important principle around coaching, it's just at this high level, is it's not remedial, meaning nobody is sent to me 
to be sorted out, right? <laughs> also, it's all like volunteer. They they have to be the person that reaches out to you. It's not you. It, it's not someone else tell, sending them to you. And it's also not you telling someone, hey, do you want to be coached by me? I think you should get coached by me. Yeah, no should. No should. Go yeah, on. sometimes people's managers will suggest to them to, to work with me or a talent business partner might say, I think you could really benefit from working on this with Katie or... Um, or sometimes a manager might reach out and say, I'm working with this person, but I also think they would benefit from working with you. Mm -hmm. I think there's something there. So it can come to me in all kinds of ways. But my, my litmus test is, is the person interested? Right? What do they want to do? Because you can't ninja coach. You can't force people into a, a development relationship like that. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. So yeah so that's important and it, it seems like i think the the most um possibly the most important thing is the big trust element right for someone to decide to want to come and work with you and open up and um you know kind of let you into their world um yeah. there needs to be like this kind of trust formation actually happening and yeah i think there's a lot of elements of trust that i'm just kind of curious on tackling but mm. if, if i were to kind of uh i guess um, kind of vomited out like so the, the two big I, I guess areas of trust I'm curious on is like one how do you earn the trust of just people like uh, Cleo to trust you as a person that can actually help yeah. them and then the yeah. other is how can they trust you to um, kind of open themselves up to you because there's kind of that weird uh, possibly like agency problem where you are hired by uh, your, your boss is the people who you know lead Cleo but what if the employee if they say something to you they might think that, oh, could this get me fired, that I'm struggling with this? And right, how right. can I open up um, to Katie about this? So, yeah, yeah. like in those elements yeah. of like this whole big bubble we call trust, like how how do you, yeah, like tackle that? And mm. what what have what has worked, what hasn't worked? Um, how, how do you like foster that? Yeah, no, it's a really good question um, because it's sort of integral to a meaningful, useful coaching relationship. Yeah, because if they don't trust you, it's, it's just not going to work, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So there's a couple of things we do in a very practical sense. Um, our pr another principle that we have um, is around confidentiality. So I, it's a hundred percent confidential. I do not share any details. I don't relay what someone has shared with me to anyone else. It's a it's a firm wall there. Right, and that's really important to me, and that that we established as a talent team early on in in my in our building this service internally, right? Because you could, other organizations do it differently, right? And I've I've had some conversations with with coaches where they're straddling that 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 it's a looser line. Oh. So we made the call to be very firm on that. The exceptions are, you know, according to ICF, right? ICF rules, which is at any point, if me or, or the person realizes that they might be a danger to themselves or others, we need to, we need to break open the, the bubble of, of confidentiality, right? I need to, you know, raise it up to the, to the right people. If something illegal, unethical comes to light through the coaching, I also have a responsibility to bring mm -hmm. that forward to the, the head of talent. It hasn't happened yet. It could. <laughs> so that line of confidentiality, so you'll, you might appreciate this. So early days, I said that, 
and and my my opening bit with people who I'm contracting with in the organization is I say that 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 wall is tight for me like I and and I'll say a little bit more about ROI or how I report out what goes on in the coaching but what I say to my person is look you can say whatever you want this is yours I hope you would say things I hope you would share with your leader share with your colleagues what you're what you're working on how it's going what you're learning right what you're seeing in yourself what the process is like for you right? I don't want that to be mysterious I don't want people to sort of walk by my my little office and go what goes on in there <laughs> so I you know I'm trying to find ways to shine light on the process and the method and to have people feel really good about the work that they're doing in their coaching and that it goes beyond the two of us, right? I think that's actually part of what makes it work. Um, the other piece around, so that's confidentiality and you might have more follow-up questions about that, but um, the other piece, I think, you know, sometimes people are a little less trusting. They need to see how this goes before they really open up and that's totally okay. So for some folks, it takes longer for them to really share more or, or say more or put things out into the room or on the table that they feel weird about or, or unsure if it's okay to say. A lot, of, a lot of people will ask me, they'll say, I want to talk about, you know, X, is that okay? I want to share with you that I'm really questioning if this is a job for me. Is it okay? Can we talk about that? So they'll often ask me and of course, yes. Gosh, if that's something on your mind, that's probably interfering with your performance. We better talk about that, right? And I think, so confidentiality, um, time, giving people some space to, and to, for me to earn their trust and for them to see that I, am, that I keep to my word, that anything they share with me doesn't come back to them. Right. A lot of people that were trepidatious up front would say, I, I shared some things with you to see if they would come back to me through other people. Wow. And they never did. And so I know now that I can trust, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really, really important. Others are more of an open book. They don't care as much about that. They, they, would, they would say things you know, to, to others. So there's such a range, a huge range. I think the other piece, if I'm honest about it, is I'm a lot older than these folks. I've been around. I've been around the block. I'm a little longer in the tooth, right? I've got a lot of life experience. And I think there's something about that relationship that they trust that I'm coming from a place of experience. Um, right? It, 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 and again, it doesn't happen in the first conversation, right? I think you know, people have to spend some time with me. I share things about myself. I share my own foibles as appropriate, right? I share my own fatal or my own flaws and blind spots that I've learned over the years. Like I'm human. I am a flawed, <laughs> strange, quirky, wonderful person. And I, I share that, right? That I'm not better than, I'm a, I'm a partner with them and, and my my care and concern is to see them resolve, change, grow, get better at the thing that they care about. And so over time, they, they, they start to believe that because that's where our focus is. 
right? And 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 so I think those are some of the elements that that really create that trust. Mm-hmm. And I think the one theme that you kept on alluding to is the importance of time and kind of giving space and creating space so that you can develop trust. Yeah, because you you just can't earn trust that quickly, right? It's not something where you say, okay, you're going to trust me in the next uh, week or after three sessions, you'll trust me. And it it has to be a very organic thing. And so how does that play into kind of setting the contract out that you talked about where, um, because I could see some people when they initially want to receive coaching, they might say, they might have this idea that, okay, I want, but I'm going to dedicate maybe three sessions, like three hour sessions. And then I, I should be fixed. Like my problems will be solved, but sometimes yeah. it can take longer and you need someone to be willing to commit longer. And so do you find yeah. that you have to kind of convince them to give it more time and say like, okay, no, like let's do more sessions. Let's do more sessions and you have to lengthen mm. it. Like how do you have that conversation where you kind of create a kind of expectation set? Like, is there, is there an expectation set? Is there a kind of, um, I don't know, like a benchmark that you have where, you know, most people need about 10 sessions. Like, how, how do you oh, approach yeah. that kind of the right. amount of peer that you need um, for yeah. most people? Yeah, no, I, I don't do that. Um, I really try to focus less on time as the, as the major factor. Oh. Like I, when we're, when we're opening up a coaching engagement and we're contract talking about, it really depends on, on, on what they're bringing to coaching, how they want to use the coaching. So I really try to stay nimble and open to co-creating it with them. Um, so it's it's less about yeah time per se. It's more about what are it what are you after. And when I know more about that, um, then we can start to look at okay. So what what would be better? What does better look like? How if we work together for and I usually throw out three or six months what progress would you like to see in yourself? How realistic is that? Are you ready to work on it very intentionally? Right? How motivated are you? How equipped are you? Like, how are you, how are we set up to get you to sort of work on the thing you want to work on? Right? So it's getting them to say, well, this is what progress would look like for me. This is what better would look like. Right? And sometimes some goals, as you know, are very concrete, like, you know, I had a fellow who really wanted to speak at a conference. So his goal was to, to get in. It was a by invitation only. And so we, 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 it, we worked on the presentation, content, his delivery. He got into the conference. That was his goal. And so it was really exciting. And, but very, fi- like very tangible and finite, right? There's a lot of things like that. And then there's a lot of things that are a lot more intangible. And like when people say, I want to get better at, at communicating, right? Huge set of bundle of competencies, right? So we really try to hone in, narrow in on what, what about that they're trying to get better at. And then I'm really, I try to be as honest as I can about what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing and what I know about that kind of development. So for example, uh, working with, with um, a young engineer who's really aspiring to be a leader his communication style is he thinks out loud and he rambles and he loses people. <laughs> this is his words. And so he wants to work on being more succinct, you know, more to the point, more clear, 
uh, more engaging with his team and his his stakeholders. And, and so, but the, that kind of development doesn't, it's not a switch. You don't just change your communication style that you've been using for 30 years overnight, right? <laughs> so we talk about, okay, well, it, it, that's going to take some time. It's going to take some practice. It's going to be a mindset shift. It's going to be, um, you know, different practices, different uh, ways that you work on that. You're going to need some feedback from people that you speak with. You can invite me to observe you and give you feedback real time. Like there's all kinds of ways to work on that, but it's going to take some time and practice. And so trying to really right size their expectations for their own progress. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess like in, in one aspect, um, because you tend to get very specific or try to hone in on, you know, possible yeah. goals or kind of metrics or something that could be measured. Um, is that one other way in one, I guess, um, yeah, like that also helped the person improve something very specific, but it could also be a great way to also kind of measure the ROI that you mentioned before. Cause in, that's right. Cause I guess, yeah, like for you personally to like, you want to know like, is this working? Am I quote unquote succeeding at helping these, uh, helping all my, um, fellow, Clear employees out, and so for you, how, yeah. how do you how do you think about the ROI, and right. how do you measure right. it, um, and how how has that kind of developed over time? Because I ma- I imagine there's like you know version point zero that you had on measuring ROI, and kind of the yeah. version now, uh, whether it be yeah. like version twenty or you know sixty. Totally, or maybe three point we're at right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the organization, the, the executives, the talent team never ask me to defend my job they never ask me to prove my roi that's that's a very that's not true other organizations would 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 operate differently around that yeah so sorry uh, sorry to interrupt but do you do you yeah. mind if i ask like what like how, how did that come about like is that something the leaders set ahead of time when they hired you or is that something um you guys talked about and we talked about that right because they wanted to know my opinion about that mm-hmm. when they brought me in right um, it was a real decision that we made together that that's less of our concern, me coaching, trying to prove itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was more, they have the leaders who, who made this call to, to hire this role internally, philosophically and, and principally, they just know it's good. They know it's the, a good thing to do for people. They know it has utility. The thing about coaching and I, you know, in your reading, Daniel, I'm, I'm curious if you have a different thought, but the minute we try to sort of force a measure on the value of coaching overall, it gets really hard <laughs> because our typical business metrics, coaching, I'm supporting the people that are doing the work and doing the jobs that are creating the results that you measure, right? We, we could, there probably are some things and, and I'll talk about how we do it. Um, that we can look at, that we care about, but it's not your typical ROI stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like I can't, they, I don't know that they could say, yeah, since we brought Katie on, our bottom line is 10% better, right? I just, and I would never want to claim that sort of a promise or, mm-hmm. or, or <laughs> you know, guarantee that that's what coaching does. Cause it's, it's such a variable human messy process that I got to be really mindful about how we talk about the value of coaching. Mm-hmm. So, and again, people can have different opinions about this, but, but here's where we go is we look at a couple things. One is um, I look at 
Yeah, uptake and appetite. So over time, are people engaging in coaching? Are they are they seeing it as a as a um, a thing that can help them? What are they hearing? What's the word on the street? So so um, you know another thing that I have a lot of trust by proxy because now I've worked with hundreds of leaders at Clio. They tell their friends, and then they tell their friends, and so on and so forth. And so some folks come to me, and the and they're ready to go because their very close colleague shared with them their experience in coaching and they, and it's trust by proxy. They're like, I don't need a big, they don't need time. They, they're, they're ready to go. So that's some people. Yeah. Um, so uptake and appetite. So I'm always looking at that as, as a, as a sign that coaching has utility and value for the organization. Um, and so, as you mentioned earlier, I have a roster of about 50 people at a time, 50 individuals, and several teams that do team coaching. I also offer some in-house coaching circles where people come together and want to coach each other around a particular topic. I help facilitate that. So the uptake, uptake and appetite, um, I'm always watching that. And how much of a queue or a wait list do I have? Right, and that, if it's, a you know, a dozen people or more at times it's been up to 30 people at one point because it is just me at this point um that's a sign to me that there's interest there's appetite and there's people wanting to do that kind of work so that's one one way to look at it i also do as people finish up with me i have them complete an anonymous survey with a bit of an nps theme to it so you know, I, I ask people, you know, just, just to sort of capture what it, what did they bring to coaching? How much progress did they think they made? Would they recommend it to other people? Why or why not? Any other feedback, right? So I try and make it not too long. So I have now hundreds of data points around that for, for people who have gone through a coaching engagement. And that's really helpful, right? To be able to thematically and at a high level share out with back with the organization Here's what people are coming to coaching for. Here's what progress they're claiming. Here's how they feel about the experience of it, right? And so that's that's been helpful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I early days, one of the things that I felt strongly about was that the person's manager had to join us at some point in the coaching engagement for an alignment sort of uh, exercise. And that, yeah, that was that was good. But then I realized over time that I didn't need to force that into the coaching engagement because what I was always checking with people was, are you sharing what you're working on with your manager? Do they know what you're bringing to coaching? Do, they, do, do you guys talk about your progress in that area? And more and more people were, were doing that. So I felt less compelled to, to sort of pull it, pull it into the coaching process. I sort of, again, keep trying to put that baton back in their hands or keep it in their hands to manage their own development. And so them inviting other people into their development is really their job, <laughs> right? Not mine. Yeah. And in, in, in that part of where it seems like um, it, it could also possibly be that, you know, since you started working um, with Clio and as this, this kind of behavior shift could have happened like where you know through your influence that managers are kind of after maybe they get coached by you they're also learning maybe i'll you know try to facilitate a better conversation with the people in my team and it have there been um or have you kind of helped develop 
uh, I guess, like systems inside the organization that could create that kind of facilitation where less and less people might need to come to you for coaching for a particular issue because you've created a system where um, a lot of that can be fixed. And yes, if, can you share a couple of those that um, were newly created? Yeah, yes. Um, So yeah, I'm a keen believer in, I want to work myself out of a job there. Mm -hmm. I would, I would love it if people felt that they could self-coach or coach each other <laughs> and and they didn't need me anymore. I think that would be awesome, right? And, and you know, sad if I had to go at this point, but, but, but that's, the, that's what we're after, right? Right, right. Yeah, and so I do um, bring coaching themes and ideas, of course, because I have a huge background in, in development um, in organizations, right? And, and so I bring a lot of that, of course, with me. And so the talent acceleration team and and the broader talent team and our employee experience team have all kinds of programs and and resources and things that they offer our our employees. And so, yeah, I I contribute to that by saying, yeah, I think that we, we could really, the organization and people could really benefit from this type of skill building or this type of um, competency set or or this kind of practice or this kind of education or development and training they they have many ideas you know they don't need me for that but but i do contribute to that and so there's we have an in-house leadership program we have uh, a fairly extensive manager onboarding and and regular manager learns sort of um, uh, programming and and tools and 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 uh, forums we have each department has their own sort of specific learning areas and the talent team contributes to that. Um, We have team day each year. So team day is an annual event where the whole company comes together and does some learning and development together. I've often contributed to that. Like there's lots of ways I I see my role is to just feed into the, to the needs assessment and the design. I don't often facilitate or run those things though. I'm more feed into them and help help our talent team ideate, design, you know, think about what to offer people, how to offer it. That's that's a role I can play. Mm-hmm. Is, is there? Would you say there is kind of a um, overarching kind of core system that influences all the kind of small ones? Like, uh, I'm just kind of spitballing here, where it, yeah, yeah. if there is. Um, it's like the 80-20 analysis and there's this one system that is just so key on incentivizing you know or motivating people to act a certain way to have like you know autonomy ownership like is there one system that you think trickles down to all the other small systems like if that does that Mm. exist or Mm -hmm. um how how does it like look in clio i think it's less about us um a system one of the things that, that I haven't shared yet is, is how strong the, the values are in the organization. They decided very early on to be a values-driven organization, and I appreciate that's cliched language, and <laughs> everybody claims to be values-driven. Um, but they have a set of core values that permeate everything, right? And again, the, you know, the, if I were to say them to you, like, customer success comes first right? That a lot of organizations would say that, but that, that value shows up 
in a lot of places in our performance feedback, you know, systems. It shows up in, yeah, what kind of programming is offered in the organization, how we, you know, treat people, how we make decisions about people. Um, one of the ones you might appreciate is profanity okay on this uh, podcast, Daniel? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the values is draw the fucking owl. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? Um, I first heard about it from Twilio's uh, value um, yeah. system. So it, I think, and it may have originated with, with Toby at Shopify. I, I can't remember the origin story, but. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But for people who don't know the um, draw the fucking owl, can you uh, describe that value? Yeah. So it's, I probably will mess this up a little bit, but ultimately it's about if you have an outline of an owl, right? You, you, got, you got to draw the rest of it and not worry about if it's right or anatomically correct or beautiful or better than everyone else's. Draw the fucking owl is if you get a little bit of information, you got to go with it, right? Make like, figure it out, take action. <laughs> Don't sit back and wait for the full picture before you make a move, mm -hmm. right? And, and that I think has been, you know, it can be probably taken in, in, in uh, maybe too extreme, but it's been a really, a really interesting value at the company, right? Because it, it's both empowering new young people coming in, to, maybe this is their first job or, or they're new to the organization and, and to be told explicitly Look, if you see a problem, solve it. If you have an idea, bring it up. If you, you want to try something, you know, go for it. Right? And in a real drive in that entrepreneurial spirit to not be held back by too much process or too much approval or too much, um, you know, per per waiting for permission to do things. It was a real drive to have people act and yeah, open up the creative floodgates. Again, I think, you know, taken to extremes that could, if everyone's just sort of wild west, drawing the owl all over the place, we, we might find that a bit problematic, but it, but it's, it's spurred a lot of the right kinds of behaviors, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, in one aspect, you might actually get a very unique look at inside the company um, in terms of like what could be missing, um, just even like with the core values, because people come to you with problems that they have. So you know, if you see that maybe like 50% of the people that come to you all have this issue of um, that, you know, they don't have enough autonomy or something and they want to get more of it, then that could kind of be the red flag that, yeah, maybe we should kind of tweak that at the organization level. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And so for you, like when, if you were to kind of look at all the data points that you've kind of gathered um, to this point, is there, would it be possible to kind of categorize like the kind of buckets of um, types of problems that you tend to like people tend to come most frequently with like would you say mm. that there's like a majority of you know um, clients that come to you are usually like more you know habit habit based um, like you know they want to form a habit or is it more career development like what would you say tends to be one mm. of the most common reasons that people come um, wanting to engage with you you know what I, I honestly I don't think there is huge buckets of, of common hmm needs um you know some of the there's definitely people who are new like as they're going into a new role or they're taking on more responsibility or, or stepping into a management or leadership role absolutely you know coaching is on their mind as a way to help them navigate that 
right? And so I, I have loved the uptake there. A lot of our leaders um, really lean on coaching to support them through that transition. Um, I think there's a there's a lot of folks that that bring to bring to coaching, yeah, a, a a skill or a competency area that they're trying to get better at. And I am a huge proponent of work-based development, meaning you you develop every day at work. <laughs> it, 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 development doesn't need to be a thing you do outside of work after hours on your own, right? That we use the workplace, we use your current responsibilities, your current projects, your current relationships as the playground, as the sandbox that we develop in. So I'm a big, huge proponent of that. And, and so what, what I talked about earlier, um, because coaching is work, people have sessions with me, but they have always have homework and practice and things that they commit to doing in this, in this coaching engagement, right? And, and so we off, you know, we're always talking about, okay, well, what's your homework gonna be? What are you gonna try? What are you gonna experiment with? What are you gonna put in place, right? And so around skill development and competency development, that's a huge part of what sort of shows up in coaching. And, and again, I, I really push for work-based development. So yeah, sometimes people's homework is to go read something, that's fine. But I try hard to make it really, for people to do and to practice and to take it out of the world of theory <laughs> and to have ways of assessing and, and noticing like, okay, I tried running that meeting differently. How did it go? What did I notice? What feedback did I get? Right, and to use the workplace, use their team, use their relationships to get better at the thing they're trying to get better at. Yeah. And yeah, no, and I, so I, your question was, is there, is there, you know, common ways it shows up and there is such a range, Daniel, there's such a range mm -hmm. of, of what people bring to coaching. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I apologize if this might be, um, once again, too much of a generalization, but I'm, I'm curious, yeah. is there is there still um, kind of a base framework that you always kind of work off of? Like, is there mm. like, like your own kind of coaching style, the coaching model yeah. that you like yeah. to use? Like we talked about how like, you know, in the beginning, there's kind of the contracting work that needs to be done where you want to set That's expectations right. and you kind of also alluded to at the end how there is, you know, kind of a homework piece that always kind of happens so that people can execute. Um, yeah. But I think those are kind of elements of a greater framework that you probably have that you kind of utilize. And so I'd be curious, like, what, how would you define like your framework? What does that look like? Um, what actually yeah. kind of processes in, in your mind when you have a new client? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I often think about it like an arc, right? It's, it's a little journey hmm. we're going to take together, whether it's one conversation or whether it's years worth of work. And the contracting helps really define that, right? Like what are they, what do they want to focus on, right? What kind of goals are they setting or what kind of intentions or what kind of progress are they trying to see? Um, and so again, I, I really, I have a sort of a, 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 you know, a long time working in the space of, of leadership development, development at work. And so I draw on a ton of different models and different frameworks. I don't hold tightly to one. Mm. So I really think about it like an arc and, and that over time, as we meet, as I meet with the person, we're always checking, you know, how, how does what we're talking about today relate to that, the thing you're 
wanting to get better at or the thing you're trying to sort out, right? And so it's, it's not, I can't prescribe up front what that's gonna look like, right? It really depends on what, what happens for the person, what, what work they do, what, what's going on for them, what they bring to the coaching conversation. Again, it's all theirs. I don't have a agenda or a curriculum Right. And so we, you know, we, we make sure that we are always, though, touching back to as we work together over time, how does this, how are we doing against those intentions or, or areas of focus that we originally identified? And sometimes they change. Right. So it's not about rigidly holding on to a particular thing and we can't talk about anything else, but it is about always finding that backbone of, of where we are in their, in their progress. So again, it's probably a little looser than some other coaches might do. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but but it has to, we have to come to closure too. Yeah. It, right? It, and so then do you find that though, like the, the contracting has to happen all up front, kind of in like the first session where you set like the vision? Because yeah, like yeah. what if you don't know what, what if the person that comes to you and says, I don't know what I what I'm trying to get out of this and and they do oh, okay they do, that's okay yeah, yeah. So how, how do you deal totally. with that they're like, they're like I heard this really good so here I am but I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing here. oh yeah. wow okay so they just come <laughs> to you and say work on me <laughs> so uh it's the ABC always be contracting right whether it's oh. one conversation or the whole we, we're always checking in on that right so that that is a method for for of course uh, that's core to, to coaching is because you're in service of them. So you have to know what you're trying to help them do or think about or plan for or act on, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes people, like very rarely, but probably a handful of times people have come into the coaching sort of space and said, yeah, I think I want to do this. We sit down, we start talking about it. And it's clear that they are wanting me to tell them what they should be doing or what they should be focused on. And that's not going to happen, right? So they realize, oh, maybe coaching is not the thing that I'm looking for right now. <laughs> and that's okay, right? That's okay. That's It's great to figure that out earlier rather than later. Yeah, and, and on that, like, what what is the expectation and, you know, actual, like, uh, the difference for most people? Like, is there is there kind of a theme that you constantly see where people are expecting A and then after you coach them and you work with them, they go, yeah, but then I realized what it actually is, is B. Like, is there, is there something like a night and day kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it really depends how, what, what exposure or understanding people have about this kind of coaching before coming into it. If they've sort of lumped it together with training or mentorship, they have different expectations for, or, or very little understanding of sort of the, what this process looks like and the role that they play in their own development. Others who are more experienced um, or have done some coaching before, of course, um, have a much better sense of, of what to expect and, and what it will look like, what it will feel like, how much work it is for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I have a job to do. I have work to do. Mm -hmm. but, but it's not to tell them what to do in every case or advise them, right? That's... That, that's a different role. Mm -hmm. I do share, I do share my thoughts for them, my ideas, uh, my perspective if they want it, but they can take it or leave it. 
And I think that's that's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And go ahead. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but it it gets me thinking. Um, we've kind of talked a lot about the actual process itself, but I'm actually curious for you, yeah. like, yeah. um, what, what moments uh, make you go like, oh yeah, this is so worth it. Like this, uh, you know, coaching people and um, going through this process. Like, what what are yeah. some kind of examples of times when you kind of sat back and thought, yeah, this this is why I do um, what I do. This is gonna sound so cheesy, but like every day. That's awesome. No, that's the every best day. answer. Wow. <laughs> almost like almost every coaching conversation. So as you can imagine, with my roster. Uh, I'm coaching five to six to seven hours a day um, with all kinds of people on all kinds of topics and areas and, and <laughs> any little bit of progress is golden in my opinion. Now, maybe it's not enough for them sometimes. I think some people do get frustrated with themselves. It does feel like they wish they could snap their fingers and make a thing happen or you know, or, or their frustration is with something in the organization and, and they they wish they didn't have to be the one to take an action on something. Anyway, so, it, I mean, it's not like it's all sunshine and roses. Sometimes coaching as a process can feel frustrating for people. It can feel not fast enough. It can feel mm. like too much work, right? And, and there's lots of tears in coaching. There's lots of, like, exasperation, right? It's not all happy clappy, right? Hopefully I'm not making it seem that way. <laughs> um, but like almost to a conversation and there's been now like thousands, right? For me in, in the organization, if I see the person sort of sit up and go, oh, okay, I now have a thing I can do about that. Or I feel a little bit more clear about that, or I can take a step there, or I I'm at peace with something or I or I feel stronger about this. Like any bit of progress in for me juices me up. Like I end my day as energized as when I started. Hmm. Because I I I'm I'm up for micro progress. That that really is satisfying to me. I again I appreciate some people want more macro progress <laughs> faster. Um, but I think what's also cool too is that coaching as a methodology and it, whether it's me or any coach there's something for people that they don't get anywhere else in their life that ability to, with someone in a trust bubble to talk out loud about something they're trying to make sense of or something they're trying to do or something they're trying to decide and to have a person whose primary job is to listen i don't have an agenda for you I'm not going to try and convince you one way or the other. I want to help you think through and act on the things that are paramount or, or that you care about or that you need right now. My whole focus is to help you think through and do something. So you don't get that, or it's pretty rare that you would get that in any other relationship. And so I think even just doing that is so people are incredible. Like they come up with all kinds of new ideas or they realize that they know a lot more about the thing that they 
claimed they didn't know about, or they, they're farther along than they thought they were, mm-hmm. or they have options that they didn't see before. Like the process brings out these great things and you can see it in people's body, right? They shoulders are up. They're like, okay, I, I feel better. I think I know what I need to do. Right. And, and that for me is just, so every conversation, literally, again, I know how hokey that sounds, <laughs> right? It's that's, that's what keeps me going. Like yeah. I, I, I get an incredible amount of joy from that. Wow. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a very powerful, um, you know, raison d'etre. Yeah. And yeah. what, what, like for me, it seems it's very obvious that this is very powerful, and companies would benefit by having like an in-house coach. What? Why do you think yeah. other companies um like don't have it? Like it's just not very common. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you, What not do you yet. think stops other companies from committing to something like this? Yeah, I mean there are companies that are doing this. There absolutely right. are. I know. I know many coaches at in-house coaches at other companies. A lot in the states. Mm. I feel like they're ahead of us on that front, generally speaking. Um, I think also that model I talked about earlier, like I'm a hundred percent coach, whereas in other organizations, talent uh, leaders or talent professionals will sort of uh, coach for part of their job and then and do operational responsibilities for the other piece. Um, and so it, it, it can look, you know, it, some organizations do their in-house coaching certification. So they certify uh people in the organization to, to do coaching with each other. Like I think about um, our local utility, BC Hydro, speaking with their um, head of coaching. Um, they created a program that certified a number of people in the organization. So they do a lot of peer coaching. Um, and so there's lots of different models and I think it, it, it is happening, um, but, but it's not as common as any other talent role for sure. And I, again, I, I, I don't know why to be honest, like, I, <laughs> like, come on, right? I think it's a philosophy, it's a belief, it's a, mm. it's a mental model around, and maybe people, because it hasn't been a common role, it just takes time for people to see it in other organizations and realize, oh, this is a, this is a thing that would actually help accelerate our people's growth. It helps people be productive, it helps people perform. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I, I, I'm really curious where we'll be five, 10 years from now, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, with the, with the in-house coaching model, whether it's one person or many people, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm really curious to see. Yeah. I, I think it also depends a lot on the decision makers own experience with coaching. Some industries it's just unheard of. Right. And then like you know lawyers for example we're, we're starting to see a really cool shift in the legal s- space that that lawyers typically like 10 years ago would never have worked with a coach right it just wasn't part of their the, 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 the norms of that profession and now i know personally like eight lawyer coaches wow. <laughs> so and the uptake is big and so that's changing, right? Like I see it changing all over. And and uh, yeah, I hope I hope organizations see that as w- another way to help, like help people perform and and see the value in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but I think you have to think about the ROI and the value differently. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. It is definitely, I think, a mindset shift that is required. And mm-hmm. 
as we kind of uh, come to kind of the last legs of the interview, um, a, a couple of like, ending questions I had, like one particular is, um, what organization do you admire most, or like organizations if you can't pick one? Like, is what is like your Mount Rushmore of like companies with like amazing culture that kind of um, continues to invest in people that you might even like use as like a role model that you kind of think about for Clio? Mm, great question. Yeah, I mean, I've worked in a number of organizations that I've, you know, thought were doing so many things right. You know, running a company is hard. It's always fraught with challenges and problems. I don't think perfection is is a word I would use to describe any company that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because to say that I, you know, hold up a particular company over others that I haven't worked at, I'm a little mm -hmm. cautious with that. Like I hear great things about different organizations, uh, both locally and in the world. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have one that, that I hold up as like the paragon of amazingness. Yeah, <laughs> I think no, all companies have wonderful things about them and it's hard. It's really hard and it's messy. And if you look under the hood, as you well know, because you do all this for a living, you've <laughs> researched and talked to people, look at companies. There's a whole bunch of shit that goes on. That's not great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess I have no, I don't have a lot of illusions about I, I tend not to drink the Kool-Aid. Mm. That's a <laughs> powerful skill. <laughs> <laughs> I love people. I, I adore Clio. I think they're doing all kinds of things right. But there's a whole bunch of ways that, you know, there's there's stuff, right? And so I'm under very little illusion um, mm. in, in my organizational life around how hard it is to grow a company. How challenging it is to bring a bunch of bright people together and then try to help them work together collaboratively and deal with the you know the, the mayhem that is you know organizational life like I have no illusions about it there is always dysfunction but there's always a lot of wonderful things too and maybe that's something that I bring to coaching too is I, I help um, I think bring perspective to a lot of younger people who don't have a lot of experience in, in, in organizational human systems. Mm. And so they, they, they are either, you know, blown away by or frustrated by or confused by some of the stuff that goes on in organizational life. And I'm endlessly fascinated by it. Like, isn't this, isn't this dysfunction interesting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, isn't this fascinating? <laughs> let's explore. Like, let's yeah. look at what this is going on. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm sure some people are leaving my office, scratching their head. <laughs> Someone gets so excited about organizational dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that doesn't really answer your question, but that that's, you know, my thoughts on that. Well, I think it's also great, but I think it's a great segue to what uh, is going to be my last question, like, which is um, if you couldn't be a performance coach, what else would you, uh, what other career do you think you'd um, want to do? Like if this was not an option. If this was just not an option. Yeah. Mm, wow. Gosh, I'd be heartbroken. But what would I do? Hmm. I, as a kid, wanted to be a doctor really badly. Uh -huh. And then when I realized in, in high school that you needed to be really good at chemistry and physics, <laughs> I realized, okay, no, I'm not going to follow that path. 
Then I got into acting. So then I wanted to play a doctor on TV. <laughs> so maybe that's what I would do. <laughs> wow. So you, I guess, uh, yeah, like the, in an alternative life, it'd be like being on Grey's Anatomy or a house or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, like a, a uh, maybe a, a dark comedy oh. doctor on TV sort of series. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, dude, that's a that's a pretty interesting sight. But I guess I guess once again, like helping people is still a continuous theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Hey, right, can't yeah. get away from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, Katie, this was a really fun chat. Um, and time kind of flew by. I, I had to kind of uh, check the time and be like, wow, like yeah, like we're kind of nearing the end. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and your story with uh, myself and my audience. I the number one listener is me and so this was a really fun chat um and an interview for me so i appreciate it i'm with you i i loved these questions and i loved uh, i've loved all of our conversations you and i and and happy to do more if we ever want to do that yeah um, that'd be awesome um subject near and dear to my heart so I'm happy <laughs> to talk to I, I hope i did you justice i hope this is interesting for people <laughs> yeah i i hope so uh, it's interesting for me and i think Hopefully there's more people like me out there that'll find this valuable. So yeah. thanks for coming on and take care.